Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, in June, we pass the one-year mark of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. Liberal states and liberal governors have responded in a revealing way including Governor Pritzker of Illinois. Now, the way they went about this was somewhat diabolical. The challenge before the pro-life community is to persuade hearts and minds. You want to feel the fetus kick? Um, it's a baby. We'll take a closer look at the efforts from our friends at Focus on the Family. That child inside that mother's womb, it was indeed a baby, and it took a five-year-old girl to point that out. Plus, we'll look at the institution of marriage and how it's perceived by millennials today. They're kind of in a place where they're like, either it's not attainable for them, or they're just kind of meh about it, and really, what's the point? I'm Scott Furrow. Great to be with you today. I'm the host of The Pastor Scott Show, heard Monday through Friday in Southern California. I'm coming to you from my home station of KKLA in Los Angeles. You can catch my program each day through our live stream at kkla.com and also through the TuneIn Radio app. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with an issue that I hope is near and dear to your heart, the issue of life. For 50 years, the focus of the pro-life community was the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It made sense. In June last year, in the release of the Dobbs decision, the Supreme Court held the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. It was a dramatic moment, but it was really just a new beginning. And what it revealed was what I'm comfortable calling the dark face of the pro-abortion movement. Our friend Albert Moeller took a closer look at Illinois and legislation signed by Governor Pritzker from his briefing podcast. The Illinois state government, under the leadership of J.B. Pritzker, the governor, and also the state's attorney general, Kwame Raoul, they supported legislation that regulated anti-abortion groups and basically tried to shut down the speech of women's resource centers so that there could be no message of a pro-life nature that was presented in such a context. Now, the way they went about this was somewhat diabolical. They basically in Illinois said, look, we're going to adopt an act or we're going to amend Illinois' Consumer Fraud and Deceptive Business Practices Act to argue that it's a deceptive business practice for these pro-life centers to make pro-life arguments to women who might be otherwise seeking an abortion. Now, that turns out to be too clever by half, at least in the view of a federal judge, in this case, U.S. District Court Judge Ian Johnston, who in an August 4 order granted a preliminary injunction to women's crisis pregnancy centers there in the state of Illinois, and his language in handing down the injunction against the Pritzker administration, well, it's classic. It deserves some close attention. 
Now, remember, this is a federal judge. They usually speak in rather measured speech. But this federal judge, Judge Ian Johnston, said of this law attempting to basically charge crisis pregnancy centers with being guilty of the crime of conducting deceptive business practices. The judge said that the law, quote, is both stupid and very likely unconstitutional, end quote. Now, you expect a judge to speak in the language of constitutional and unconstitutional, but it tells us something that this judge went so far as to speak of the law not only as unconstitutional, that's what's most important, but secondly, as stupid. Now, why would a federal judge use a word like stupid? Is he going to explain why he used it? Well, Judge Johnston did. This is what he said, quote, it is stupid because its own supporter admitted it was unneeded and had no evidence supporting its claims of deception. He said it's unconstitutional, or he said likely unconstitutional, because it is a blatant example of government taking the side of whose speech is sanctionable and whose speech is immunized, end quote. That is to say, which speech is prohibited and which is protected. Now, why would they do that? Why would the governor, why would the attorney general do that if they know there is very little likelihood this law could succeed, if it could stand constitutional scrutiny? Why would they decide to defend it in appeal or in court or in trial? And they may not, but they may. Why would they do this? And the answer is, this is government leadership by political posturing. One final thought on this particular story it points to the need for attorneys committed to constitutionalism to show up and be ready to take these cases and to take them to court. There are organizations that are leading the way in so many of these issues, and you hear me mention them regularly on the briefing. I also want to point to something else, and that is that most Americans likely will never know about this story. And in the mainstream media, you can tell that there's something of an agenda or at least a pattern in submerging this kind of story. I want to say a word of appreciation in this sense to the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal who ran a full editorial. And it's just important to recognize that there's at least one major national newspaper in the United States that still considers stories like this in the defense of free speech to be matters of importance. I want to quote from the editorial. This is what they say toward the end, and it's addressed to the Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. They write this, quote, Mr. Pritzker is gaining a reputation as a hard-left culture warrior who is happy to silence political opponents, end quote. We can be thankful that at least someone in the mainstream media understands that game when it is seen and is willing to call it out. As we look at the efforts of states like Illinois, we come pretty quickly to a simple point. We are going to make progress on the issue of the dignity of human life in the womb as a result of one key thing, changing hearts and minds. Our friends at Focus on the Family are working on just that. Here's the audio of a video ad that is, if I can say it, just beautiful. Well? It's positive. We're having a fetus. Having a fetus? We're having a fetus. <laughs> and here we are. Would you look at that? Hi, fetus. Hey, got names yet? For the fetus? We've got a few we like. Focus on the family would like to remind you that no matter where you are on your pregnancy journey... It's almost here. Keep pushing. Your fetus is doing great. Call it what you want, but the truth does not change. You want to feel the fetus care? Um... It's a baby. It's still a baby. 
My colleague Bill Bunkley talked about this latest effort with Gary Schneeberger of Focus on the Family from Faith Talk WTBN in Tampa. I've lived in a world where it's so ridiculous where I always use the term um, unborn baby, and then right. we use this term fetus. And then for this ad to come out, for me, and maybe I'm going to kind of show my colors here, it really showed how ridiculous it is for right. us to be talking fetus. Who actually, led by the Lord, I'm sure, came up with this idea because it really sticks. Yeah, we partnered with a Hollywood production company that does these kinds of things all the time of believers. So there were indeed Christians who came up with this idea, and we partnered with them, and they had this. And it was a very simple concept, exactly what you talked about, things we take for granted when you're talking about um, children in the womb. We say baby, and when you hear it, there's dissonance. I watched people watch this ad, Bill. I watched people watch this ad where I couldn't hear what was, you know, I couldn't hear the ad. I could just see them. And for the first 48 seconds, they laughed like you did when I said some of the things that the ad talks about in using the word fetus in odd situations. And then in the last 12 seconds, when the mother and father, uh, the mom who's, who's pregnant asks her daughter, probably about five years old, if she wants to feel the fetus kick. And the girl looks up at her mom, sweet girl, looks up at her mom and says, um, it's a baby. I watched people watch that ad without hearing what was going on. And I could tell where they were in the ad by the, the way they reacted. There was almost a gasp in that it, it became so clear out of the mouths of babes. Indeed, it became so clear that what was funny in the first 48 seconds, now all of a sudden brought into stark, stark relief what the reality was. That child inside that mother's womb, it was indeed a baby, and it, and it took a not long ago baby, a five-year-old girl, to point that out. That's the simplicity, I think, that was beautiful about this ad, that it really, it really sort of hits you a little bit that um, words do indeed matter, and how we talk about life is critical. I want you to jot this down. It's a baby.com. I T S A baby.com. If you have not seen this uh, particular advertisement, you need to do that. And maybe you might want to send that out on some of your social media platforms because uh, it really is, it's not offensive, but I'll tell you what, it really is thought provoking. And that's what's uh, important here. And so, I want to get back to Gary. And so, Gary, um, we finally have crossed the threshold with reversal Roe versus Wade. But through the years, we've been doing incremental steps, you know, baseball analogy, you know, singles and doubles, maybe a triple. Uh, but now that we have Roe, talk a little bit about how an ad like this can really bring along public opinion. Yeah, it it. it... It forces us to look. It forces those who see it, if they if they see it openly and honestly, to to consider the way that they regard life in the womb. And for those who are who are on our side, right? Those who believe like we do, Bill, that it's going to reinforce what we believe. But there are those, and we targeted this ad to many many people online who don't believe like we do because we want them to go, uh huh, to see it in a new light. That's what we're after here, not to see it even in a in a political light, but in a in a human light. What is right when it comes to speaking about that being in the womb 
of a pregnant woman. That's, That's right. what we hope to make people think about. The whole idea of uh, here we have the Mayo Clinic, uh, and I know, Gary, you and I were talking on the break, and the Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic has some guidance on this idea about fetus, baby, baby, fetus, what's really going on. Share a little bit from them. Right. Um, so they, on their website, the Mayo Clinic, which is the gold standard, right, for medical care in the U.S., when we get in those arguments with folks on the left about science and you have to believe science, and you know, Mayo Clinic cited a lot there. They have an article that walks prospective parents through the weekly development of their child. And in just the first trimester is this one article. In that one article, the word baby is used to describe the child 37 times. From the moment of fertilization, 37 times, the Mayo Clinic calls a child in the womb a baby. That was one of the reasons we wanted to do this ad. We want everyone to know what the Mayo Clinic clearly knows. It is indeed a baby. It's, that's, that's what it is. What the little girl says at the end of that commercial is what we want everybody who has seen the ad to not only say themselves, but then to, to your point, thank you, pass it along, share it on social media, get this you know, far and wide. We deputize you at Focus on the Family to share this message with your friends. You can find a link to the video of that ad we played at our website, ChristianOutlook.com. Coming up, we'll look at our younger generations and their attitude towards marriage. They're kind of in a place where they're like, either it's not attainable for them or they're just kind of meh about it. And really, what's the point? In the next segment of the Christian Outlook. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow, host of The Pastor Scott Show. Marriage, it is, in Scripture, the core building block of the family and thus of human civilization. You'll be hard-pressed to find any culture that has prospered without the union of one man and one woman at its core. And yet, young people today are lackluster in their attitudes towards marriage and have shown a willingness to delay any commitment to the institution. I turned to Lisa Anderson, also with Focus on the Family, on my program earlier this week. You know, it's interesting because I talk every day to younger adults, so 20s and 30s, and, uh, you know, I'm finding that even though they're aspirational towards marriage, they're kind of uh, in a place where they're like, either it's not attainable for them or they're just kind of overall meh about it and really what's the point. And so we're trying to cast a different vision for them at this point. I just had a call. I don't know if you heard the caller, but... He uh, he's a millennial, and he said uh, he's living with um, the mother of his kids. The kids are eight and six, but they're not married. It was kind of for financial reasons. He felt like that would be more. You know, I told him he needs to get married, but he he went and discussed how marriage is something that uh, wasn't presented very well for his generation, and that's kind of leading to where they're at. Is that what you're finding in your ministry to young adults? 
Yeah, I think it's so true. And I think it's because, you know, if we think of the millennials who are out there, they are the product of the largest divorce generation in history, the boomers. And so they haven't been cast good examples. They Most of them grew up in homes that weren't, you know, intact families. Maybe they had an absent dad entirely. And so they're kind of like, yeah, I haven't seen marriage modeled well. So why would I want to really go after it when instead I can cohabit? Or I can kind of test out marriage. I can play the field. I can kind of do what I need to do. And, you know, what's weird about it is millennials and even now Gen Zers, they actually have a pretty decent view of marriage as a whole. They just think it can't be done successfully. And so they're going to play at marriage. They're going to live together. They're going to just say, you know, maybe I don't need to commit in order to get that lifelong love in the way that I need it. You know, we're both maybe working. And so I think for them, it's kind of like you're going to have to prove to me that this is something bigger than just a financial decision or something that's going to be, quote, for the kids. Is, um, you know, it's interesting that you say that there's a positive view of marriage, but a sense that I can't do it or it's not going to work for me. And, you know, as a pastor for so long, I certainly heard that a lot in the last few years from couples who were struggling with that, or they even said, we're just not going to have kids because I don't want to deal with the pain of the, the potential pain of divorce or sad things happening to kids, you know, and then they'll often decide, in fact, I would say more often than not, people are already living together. What are some of the misconceptions around cohabitation that people have today? Yeah, and this is where it's like, you know, you can, you can, Pastor Scott, take faith out of this entirely. Mm-hmm. You look at some of the socioeconomic things that are going on with cohabitation. Most people will cohabit because they think, okay, well, I need to get a, a test run going here. I need to figure out, you know, am I compatible with this person? Is this something that can go the long haul? What are they going to, you know, how are they going to show up in real life? And so, But the fact is, we are finding that on all levels, when it comes to couples living together, things go downhill pretty fast. So, for example, cohabiting couples, uh, one partner, usually the male, not to diss all the guys out there, but this is I'm just (laughs) sharing the stats, y'all. I'm with you. um, Will not contribute to housework in the way that he claims he will. Uh, Rates of domestic violence are much higher in cohabiting couples. Mm. Uh, You will see definite um, differences in whether or not kids come into the picture. That's going to happen. There's going to be a lot more ambiguity around that in cohabiting couples. And uh, and I will even say that those couples that cohabit, once they do get to marriage, if in fact they do, the divorce rates are much higher among cohabiting couples. And so, but I think one of the most problematic things, and this is something that's not talked about a lot, we talk about it all the time at Boundless, is the fact that cohabiting keeps you in lame, go-nowhere relationships much longer than you normally would be in them. So, you know, this is where I talk to the ladies specifically. They will hang on to a guy because they think, well, I've invested in this relationship. We've now put two years in or three years in. Maybe we have a dog that Mm. we share. We certainly share rent or maybe a mortgage or whatever. And, you know, maybe they share a kid at this point. And so she's kind of like, it's just too much effort for me to get out of this. And so she might stay in something abusive. She might might stay in something that's not healthy, something that's toxic, just because she doesn't have the energy to get out. And that's where I really see a lot of relationships languishing and even becoming something that could be dangerous. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Lisa Anderson, director of Young Adults and the host of The Boundless Show on Focus on the Family. You know, you're 
you're right on. That is being experienced by a lot of people. And these decisions that people are making by not getting married actually hinder them uh, towards having a family or getting married or being in a healthy spot. We used to date. Like culturally, <laughs> dating was something we did well yeah. to figure this out. What happened? Yeah, I think, you know, we've we've kind of lost this idea of dating. And I say, you know, because I talk to so many Christian couples, wouldn't it be awesome if I could just direct everyone to first and second dating in the Bible and we would all figure out like what this looks like and how it, how it can be done well. But the fact is we have to go for principles instead. So we have settled in our culture because dating has not become the norm. I mean, if we talk to our, our parents' generation or our grandparents, it was like nothing to just ask a girl out to the movies or you walk down to the corner store mm. for a malt or something like that. It seems so utopian, so idyllic, but it was a way that people used to get to know each other. And I remember talking to my grandpa and he's like, I would ask two or three girls out in a weekend. And I mean, now he'd be considered a player. Right. And so, but it was just kind of, you, you, there was a less, um, there was less barrier of risk to just say, we're just getting to know one another. But now there's so much attached to it, especially even in the church where mm -hmm. it's like, you can't even ask someone to coffee unless you're pretty sure that you could marry them. And you've certainly run them through at least six personality profiles and done a background <laughs> check and, and all of this. And so instead of, uh, you know, there's just this pressure there instead of just being able to say this is an exploratory process. And so what we have is the alternative from the culture is just straight on hookups. And so, you know, mm. Christian couples don't want to do that. Uh, they don't want to be just that weekend kind of one night stand, which is weirdly uh, something that so many people are going for because they would rather hook up and have that level of intimacy than actually have a real conversation and risk being in someone's life and being known. And so that's where it becomes really problematic in our culture today. And so we've got to turn the tide on this to make it a different script where young adults feel confident and feel like people are coming alongside them to support them in the pursuit of marriage, because ultimately it will get the ball down the field in a way that will be a lifelong lasting relationship. Yeah. As you're telling those, I'm just having a lot of flashbacks to even my own time, right? And it's changed since yeah. then, but I used to date girls who went to other churches on purpose so that people just didn't know. You were one of those guys. I was that okay. guy. We, we, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's problematic. <laughs> so, but I mean, again, it's like, in, and there, there's a stigma there too, because it's like no guy wants to walk into a church setting and be, again, that guy that is perceived as just scamming on all the women, mm -hmm. and you're just there because it's a meat market, and shouldn't you care about God? And and so I think guys are just kind of hands off. The other thing our culture has done is guys have sat back, and they are very passive in relationships. They yeah. have kind of decided, like, well, you know what? I don't have to do a lot of hard work because now there are all these super confident, uh, successful women who are stepping up to the plate. And quite frankly, they're asking me out and they're paying for dates and they're letting me just kind of be this guy that takes it all in. But women don't want that either. And right. so we've got to figure out a better script to make this done in a more healthy way. Coming up, we're living in the midst of complete, absolute chaos. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. 
Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey there, my friends call me Big Bobby. I dream big. I like big burgers, and I'm big on streaming. And when it comes to catching those big moments of my favorite shows, I unfold the big 7.6-inch screen of my new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 5. I love you, James. I've always loved you. And Big Bobby also gets big feelings. Good for you, James. You deserve it. Get your Galaxy Z Fold 5 now at the Samsung Experience Store at Roosevelt Field. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Scott Furrow. Last week, the CDC released a report on the number of suicides in the nation last year. The numbers were astounding, 49,500. So nearly 50,000 human beings took their own lives last year alone. The numbers have never been higher. Bob Burney took a closer look on the word WRFD in Columbus, Ohio. We are passing a horrible milestone. The uh, figures from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for last year, 49,500 people took their own lives last year in the U.S., the highest number ever reported by the federal government, 49,500. Hundred people. Before I go any further, let me say this as strongly as I possibly can. Depression is real, number one. Depression should carry no shame. If you are experiencing depression, please do not feel guilt and shame. Number three, depression should carry no stigma especially in the church. Things are beginning to change, praise God. But for such a long time, if someone was experiencing real depression in an evangelical Bible-believing church, that person was told, pray it away. Just pray more. Read your Bible more. That is such foolish advice, and it is not biblical. But then, a major cause of suicide is just simply the loss of hope and the loss of purpose. I do not want to get political. 
But the current political climate in America is robbing people of both hope and purpose. The current political climate that says you can't make it on your own, you must have the government's help. We must help you. You are not capable of handling things yourself. We will help you. We will provide your needs. We will give you a job. We will give you a phone. We will give you a house. We will give you clothes. Takes away the sense in an individual of their own purpose and of hope. And then this whole thing of sexual identity. A large percentage of these suicides are from people who believe that they are transgender. And rather than those young people or even adults getting the help that they need out of that confusion, their confusion is encouraged and embraced. And they're confused. And I say this constantly. When you follow biblical principles, if you want to use natural, fine. Natural principles are biblical principles. Biblical principles are natural principles because God created nature. When you follow biblical principles, there is clarity. When you abandon those principles, there is chaos. And America as a whole has just completely abandoned the biblical principles upon which this country was founded. And as a result, there was no clarity anywhere. What's right? What's wrong? Who's male? Who's female? Who's a a mother? Who's a father? It's complete chaos. I don't know whether I'm a boy. I don't know whether I'm a girl. I don't know whether I'm a man. I don't know whether I'm a woman. I don't know whether I'm binary, non-binary. I don't even know what my pronouns are. We are living in the midst of complete, absolute chaos. And unfortunately, our government is encouraging the chaos And the liberal progressive left is celebrating the chaos. And when chaos is the prevailing attitude in a culture and a society, you see the results that we are experiencing. And that's why I continue to say the the real answer to America's problems is not political. Of course, the next election is very important. I can't imagine us surviving another four years of a liberal Democrat administration. But the real answer is not in politics or politicians or in the White House or the halls of Congress. We need a spiritual revival. We must have churches that will tell the truth, not entertain, but tell the truth. Coming up, teaching biblical clarity on mankind, male and female. Only 52% of the folks who, and these are regular church attenders, uh, told us that they thought the Bible was really clear on transgenderism. When the Christian Outlook continues in just a moment, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. 
And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Hey, everyone, this is Jordan Seculo. You've spoken and we've heard you loud and clear. That's why this month we're doing something big. We're proud to announce our brand new ACLJ Life and Liberty Drive. Our legal teams will be focusing on the issues that you, our ACLJ members, have told us matter the most to you, life and religious liberty. We're redoubling our efforts to beat back the radical left's attack on your constitutional religious freedoms and to defend the sanctity of human life. Life and liberty are the cornerstones of our great nation. but They're not guaranteed. When the values we hold dear are under attack, it's up to all of us to take a stand or risk losing them forever. This is not just a call to fund our legal battles. This is your moment to get in the fight. Just as before, every tax-deductible gift will be doubled, dollar for dollar, through the ACLJ Life and Liberty Drive, giving you twice the impact to defend your freedoms and help us fight to literally save lives. Join the ACLJ in the fight to keep America free. We're proud to announce our brand new ACLJ Life and Liberty Drive. Our legal teams will be focusing on the issues that you've told us matter the most to you, life and religious liberty. Go to ACLJ.org right now and join us in the fight. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. Bob Burney, in our last segment, spoke of the chaos coming out of the LGBTQ sexual revolution. As this revolution continues to unfold, the church has been forced to answer questions that were previously just assumed. We all just knew certain things. Now, questions surrounding issues of sex and gender and gender identity have become quite prominent. David Clausen partnered with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers on a new resource titled Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. Clausen was a guest of Georgine Rice on KPDQ in Portland. How do you navigate the hostile culture that we find ourselves in, in which if you hold an opposing point of view, if you hold a biblical view on uh, the subject of gender, sexuality, and marriage, you are deemed hateful, and you can be canceled in some pretty significant ways. How do you hope this book will be used when Christians come together to consider what does the Scripture have to say on these subjects? Well, a, cu- a couple of things, Georgina, and I, I will say we're at Family Research Council. We're a week or two away from actually releasing a nationwide worldview study that we did with George Barna. Mm-hmm. Uh, we polled thousands of people around the, specifically in the church, uh, 72% of the people who took our poll are, are weekly church attenders. And uh, one of the things we were shocked by, and here I'll give you one of the stats, only 52% of the folks who, and these are regular church attenders, not just those who identify as Christian, uh, told us that they thought the Bible was really clear on transgenderism. Um, I think the number was in the high 60s on whether the Bible is actually clear on the moral status of homosexuality. And so to me, so I, I hear the, the question you ask. I just want to take it a step further. I do think there's a lot of faithful folks who go to church, but they're actually a little murky on these issues because maybe they haven't been taught from their pastor. Maybe they haven't dug into the scriptures for themselves. And so I do think there's a lot of education that needs to take place in the church and in Christian homes, Christian schools. But to the question that you ask about kind of the hostility, it's true. Uh, the issues that we're dealing with right now. So this is back to school season we're, we're about mm-hmm. to enter. Uh, questions that were uh, unchallenged and assumed just a couple of years ago 
think of the question preferred pronouns. Uh, these weren't even on the radar, and now they are, which is why we think parents uh, need to be talking to their kids now about what you're going to do uh, when that teacher asks you to use preferred pronouns or that classmate who was a boy last year wants to identify as a girl this year. Like, we need to be having those conversations now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder, too, if there is some confusion within the church. I know there is a stream within the church that embraces all of these things, and it's much more convenient to just accept it and to move on rather than to explore what the Scripture teaches and then to stand on, on the truth of, of those Scriptures. A lot of people just want to opt out. Oh, it's true. No, they do. Know, and it, no, I think it's inherent with a lot of us. No one likes controversy. The very few people, you know, when there's an argument or there's a contention, want to run into the middle of that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and as Christians, we want to be kind and loving, and we want to be people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, there's a whole host of issues that I think that good-meaning Christians can agree to disagree on. You know, I'm a Baptist, and I think my Presbyterian friends are mistaken on uh, baptism. But, you know, we're co-laborers. We get along. Um, you know, there's room to disagree on some secondary and tertiary issues. Uh, but there are some issues where there's a clear, thus saith the Lord. Uh, there's a chapter and a verse that we can go to in Holy Scripture. And when it comes to the things like the definition of marriage or whether there's male or female or the moral status of homosexuality, and, and I know anyone, perhaps people listening to this conversation, uh, even just raising the question uh, will sound bigoted and mean-spirited. Uh, but there are some issues the Bible's clear on, and where the Bible's clear, uh, those who follow Jesus ought to be clear. And you know what? Jesus, I'm thinking John 15, 16, some of the last words he shared with his disciples, he said, as they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So in one sense, we should expect this. Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. I wonder if you would comment on how central this understanding what the scriptures teach on this subject and the assault on marriage and gender and sexuality, what it says about God himself and if it undermines his credibility, if we reject what he clearly lays out in in the Bible, is it more serious than just whether or not my neighbor is going to be called a he or a she? The very trustworthiness of God and his word is at stake in this debate. We know from Ephesians chapter 5, the marriage relationship is a pattern for the way Christ relates to his church, the the blood-bought, redeemed body of saints that Jesus has bought back. And really the trustworthiness of of God's word is at stake. We know 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. And if you can go to the scripture and, and there's a passage that clearly defines marriage or clearly defines any of these issues, and then somehow you can say, well, actually it means the exact opposite. Well, then all of a sudden that means we can't take God at his word. And if we can't take God at his word, then God himself is not trustworthy. And where does that leave you? Uh, nowhere good. And so I think, yeah, the very character of God and the trustworthiness of his word is wrapped up in how we understand uh, some of these basic things, such as his creation of us, male and female. Uh, that's what it means uh, to be in God's image. He created this male and female in his image and the relationship of marriage. Um, which reflects that unique relationship that Christ had with his redeemed people. Now, the book is designed for group settings like Sunday school classes, small group Bible studies. You have some great chapter outlines. I think for for some who aren't on top of this um, might even be completely unfamiliar, but there are phrases and subjects that will help to better understand where we are as a culture. Can you kind of walk us through some of these um, these chapter titles? 
Absolutely. So like I said, it's eight weeks, and we really try to root people in the Bible. Because you know, you know one thing, Georgine, we're not saying anything new that hasn't been said. What we're really trying to do is just point people to the ancient truths of Scripture uh, that have guided God's people for 2,000 years. Um, so kind of week one is called Creation's Warrant. Uh, which is just kind of orienting people to how to read the Bible, to to read, you know, have a good hermeneutic, so to speak, Mm -hmm. understanding how to read Scripture in its literary, historical, canonical context. And we we start with Jesus, uh, which is always a good place to start. Uh, But, you know, when Jesus was asked about marriage uh, in the context of a question about divorce, where did he go? And we show that he went to Genesis uh, 1 and 2. And we're kind of just trying to show how Jesus himself read the Bible and that goes into chapter two called Creation's Order, where we really do do uh, like a, a deep dive on what God's Word says in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of male and female in his image, and then the institution of marriage. Uh, so that's, those are kind of the first two chapters introducing people uh, to try to frame our mind to think about these issues the way the Bible thinks about these issues. Coming up. We want to be robust in our understanding of the Scripture and be able to speak truth. But we do it realizing we're speaking to other people who are going through the same trials and temptations that we are, that are broken people, that are hurting people. A few more minutes on male and female, he created them when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Tuning into the baseball game, monitoring the incoming storm, catching your favorite talk show. These are just a few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. And did you know AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping us safe in dangerous times? It's reliable, free, and public safety depends on it. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. The best time to get a great deal on a Jeep 4xe SUV is now during the Summer of Jeep event. Well-qualified lessees get an ultra-low mileage lease on the 2024 Jeep Wrangler Willys 4xe for $369 a month for 36 months with $4,509 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution at least through Solantis Financial. Extra charge for miles over $22,500. Includes $7,500 EB cap cost reduction. Not all customers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 731. Jeep is a registered trademark. Experiences are what people love most about travel. With Viator, you can browse and book tours and activities so incredible you'll want to tell your friends. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. Viator has experiences in over 190 countries. There's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Viator lets you keep things flexible. Use Reserve Now and Pay Later to secure the activities you don't want to miss without being locked in. Whether you want to take a backstage tour of the Grand Old Opry, a Miami Bimini Bahamas day trip by ferry, or a private guided tour of the Grand Canyon, Viator is for you. Download the Viator app now and use Viator 10 for 10% off your first booking. One app, over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. If you are a believer today, you are in Christ. And that is your primary identity, the identity that ought to shape every aspect of your self-understanding in front of the God who has made you and has, through the work of His Son, redeemed you. Let's pick up on the conversation of David Clawson with Georgine Rice, talking about 
male and female, he created them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. In addition to the workbook, I'll call it, male and female, he created them, you also give access to uh, videos that can help your studiers to go deeper. We do, and actually anybody can access those videos for free if you just go to hecreatedthem.org, just kind of all one word, hecreatedthem.org. There's a tab there. Now, the videos are meant to be watched along with the booklet, but anyone can kind of get a taste of the material. We have world-class scholars, uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary. We have Christopher Yuan. We have Dr. Heath Lambert, uh, pastor of First Baptist of Dallas. Uh, H.P. Charles, uh, a well-known African-American pastor. We have Rosaria Butterfield, who identified as a lesbian uh, for years, uh, was a professor at Syracuse University, and then had a life-changing encounter with Jesus and uh, now has written books on this issue. And so she she provides one of the videos as well to think about our identity. What does it mean to have our identity first and foremost in Christ? You know, we, we also talk about just real practical issues. What happens when someone asks you to use preferred pronouns, or do you go to the same-sex wedding ceremony? Uh, so it's not just theory, although, mm-hmm. of course, theory is important, uh, but we want to bring the theory out of the ivory tower, so to speak, um, onto the streets. Uh, and and real-life questions that we know believers are facing. And just, again, come alongside Christian parents and pastors and think just a little bit more faithfully about these questions. Absolutely. I appreciate that emphasis on practice because I think for for many of us, gaining understanding is the first part, and it's essential. But how do we navigate through some of the rather treacherous waters that we're going to be called upon to navigate through? We want to extend the love of Jesus out into the culture, and we might assume that doing so, we just simply put blinders on and follow wherever the culture is leading us. But God is calling us to something else, and how we do both things, we stay faithful to the gospel, we extend the love of Christ, and love others well, is a challenge. It is, and I think one of my go-to verses, whether it's this issue, the abortion issue, religious liberty issues, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 15, when he said that we need to speak the truth in love. I think some of us might be better at the truth part, uh, whereas other people might be better, think they're more naturally better at the the love and the kind part. Uh, But Paul says those things, they're really different sides of the same coin. And so we want to be robust in our understanding of the Scripture and be able to speak truth. But we do it realizing we're speaking to other people who are going through the same trials and temptations that we are, that are broken people, that are hurting people. And so I think those things don't have to be in tension with one another. That should really, I think, mark the way all of us as Christians engage these issues. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to mention it to a friend. Find this episode at ChristianOutlook.com. While you're there, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan and Wilbert Flores, I'm Scott Furrow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. You've spoken and we've heard you loud and clear. We're proud to announce our brand new ACLJ Life and Liberty Drive. Our legal teams will be focusing on the issues that you, our ACLJ members, have told us matter the most to you, life and religious liberty. We're redoubling our efforts to beat back the radical left's attack on your constitutional religious freedoms and to defend the sanctity of human life. 
This is your moment to get in the fight. Every tax-deductible gift will be doubled. Join the ACLJ in the fight to keep America free.